And welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down Post Thanksgiving. I'm your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me is Walter Lukashevsky. Before I do toss it to him, I want you to know that this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Head there, use promo code FOOTBALL, get 20% off that order and free shipping. With that, Wally, how was your weekend? How was your Thanksgiving? How about those Raiders? Dude, it was a great Thanksgiving. And man, I told you about how we have unconventional food at my house. Pierogies, calzones, beer roast. It was an outstanding little weekend there. And then I had my buddy, Matt Gasper. He's down in the Army. He got leave from Fort Bragg. So having him up here for Thanksgiving weekend was very special. And it was even more special when you had the Raiders win on Thanksgiving when I guess my team, I don't rarely get to see them on a holiday like that. So that was a really fun surprise. But asking you now, similarly, got to give me your favorite Thanksgiving dish. And also, congratulations on your Packers big win on Sunday. I needed that for morale inside the household. Had a great Thanksgiving. Obviously, got to, had, to, had the two families get to combine here for the first time. So it's going to be me and my girlfriend. So it was a great time. Had seafood on the menu. And, of course, my all-time favorite, which I guess saying this right after seafood kind of makes your stomach turn a little bit, but pumpkin cheesecake. My favorite dessert. I had a lot of it. You know what? I even dove into the pecan pie, which brought up a huge discussion at the at the dinner table. Is it pecan or pecan? Wow. You know, I have to say, I think I probably say pecan usually, but now I'm second-guessing everything I know. I just started saying pecan just to really start p- pissing people off. It's like right there in the in-between, but whatever. I'm not, I'm more, like I said, I'm more of a pumpkin cheesecake, pumpkin pie guy, so I'm not really too worried. That reminds me of one of my buddies from school. They grew up saying coupon instead of coupon. And every time he says it, I think that it's a bit. You know, I'm sure that drives you crazy as the person who has their doctrine in English that has to drive you up a wall, Wally, so I can only imagine what you have to deal with. This week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Instead of doing the hair of the dog, we're going to make it a little bit fast-paced. Our NASCAR segment. Speed up the offense, a little bit hurry up. But we don't want to take it away from, you know, the two-minute warnings, whatever you hear on the NFL networks. We're just going to run through these games. Hair of the Dog will be making its return here next year as we just want to get through these BS games that don't matter and talk about the games that now have playoff implications in the last quarter of the season. First game we have on the schedule, the Miami Dolphins beat the Carolina Panthers 33-10 to where Miami has won their fourth straight and we saw Cam Newton getting benched in the fourth quarter. We've now seen this, what, three, four years in a row. Cam Newton really struggling. Really feels like the career is unfortunately at its end. Career backup at best. On the flip, though, Tua, maybe you and I gave up on him a little early. I'm ready to walk it back. We talk about these games a lot more when we get into gambling, but we gave up on Tua a little fast. The Falcons allegedly played the Jaguars on Sunday where Scordero Patterson dominated the Jaguars, but realistically was the only player worth a damn in this game, Steven. I couldn't agree with you more. The only reason I... I kept eyes on this game is because Atlanta covered. That was the only thing that was positive about this game. Jacksonville, you are who we thought you were. Dog shit. Same with you, Atlanta. The Bears beat the Lions on a snooze fest here on Thanksgiving Day, 16-14. to The Lions love losing at the buzzer. They did here. to a 29-yard field goal, very short field goal. And this was their best chance at winning. The Bears, on the other hand, they look bad. doesn't matter if it's Andy Dalton or Justin Fields at, in that quarterback position. 
One thing is for sure, Matt Nagy has another 10 days in Chicago. Regrettably. But it really is starting to feel like this winless season is just as possible as the Lions actually getting a win on the year. And the Bears at the same point, they are going to win just enough to make missing the playoffs hurt this season. The Giants edge out the Eagles in a very sloppy game. Jalen Hurts still can't win a game with his arms solely yet. And the Giants are in a very similar spot as the Bears. Going to win a lot of games just enough to get them in the wild card hunt and fall short. Freddie Kitchens out here being the matchmaker in that offense for the New York Giants after firing Jason Garrett. On the other end, Jalen Hurts. You had your team poised to continue their win streak. He throws three interceptions in here. To Wally's point, he cannot get it done in the air. You have to use the legs, and that goes for all of your running backs on top of Jalen Hurts. The Patriots dominate the depleted Tennessee Titans, 36-13, something like that. New England controlled this game throughout. Are they the team to beat, and how dead are the Titans, Wally? The Titans feel pretty dead, but they're going to get in the playoffs purely because of the lead they have. They should be thrilled the Colts lost. And the Colts are peaking a little too late for the division, but the wild card is still very much in play. But the Pats look super. The Jets get Zach Wilson back, but they struggle to beat the Texans on Sunday. Zach Wilson throws a really weird interception I'll let you talk about here in a second. He did get to show his athletic side with the touchdown run, but his decision-making has still been pretty bad. The Texans on the other side, they're just bad in general. Nothing out there worth a damn. I don't even think people in New York or Houston were watching this game. The Jets get their get their number one draft pick back in Zach Wilson. He throws that great interception of a shovel pass to a running back who's had his back turned to him, hits off his running back's back, and a linebacker scoops it up. A lot of backs in there. Did not intend that. I do apologize. Now the Jets lead the league with 19 interceptions as a team, four more than the next closest team. Buffalo Bills get right back on track against the New Orleans Saints. Bills beat a falling New Orleans team, falling under 500. Another team that they beat that is at that marker below. I think the Saints are dead, and the Bills should be worried about the AFC East. The Saints are dead. Their offense is one of the most dreadful at this stages of the year out of anybody out there. And the Bills, they are right back on track and just in time for that Super Bowl possibilities, New England Patriots. Washington, they survive a late onside kick recovery. It was called back, then almost get it again to hold on to beat Seattle. Is Washington in play in the NFC East? Washington has the keys to their own card. They still have they still have two matchups against Dallas, a matchup against the Eagles and the Giants. They are controlling their own fate and a late season surge here with Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera. All of a sudden they're they're playing their best ball without their best players. Seattle, your season's done. Russell Wilson's out of there. He wanted out of there at 12 and 4. It makes you think he doesn't want out of there for a five-win team with all that talent on there. And that's going to bring us to the end of our NASCAR segment. That was pretty quick, but I've seen things quicker. You can just ask my girlfriend. Before we hop on to the recaps from last week, I'll toss it over here to Wally. We want to remind you guys that Loss of Down is brought to you by Tabby's.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. Tabby's offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, Tabby's.com offers three flavors, 
galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. They are perfect for any time your anxiety is high. I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time. And it's not a fix. Like, don't get me wrong about that. But it does make me feel much more at ease. Hence the name. Whenever I am feeling overwhelmed, I seriously would recommend this, whether they were a sponsor or not. So please go and make sure you follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That is Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabease.com and with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. The Bengals undress the Steelers. They've won their third straight versus the rival for the first time in 31 years and the Steelers were looking horrible. Big Ben is looking miserable. Joey B having a good game, but the other Joes were all the eyes were on with 165 yards and two touchdowns. T. Higgins adding 114 yards and a touchdown on six receptions here. Are the Bengals back in the driver's seat in this division, even though they're still one game back from the Ravens? I think that it's going to depend on that matchup with Baltimore at the end of the year. Whoever wins that game is probably my bet to win this division at this point, but there really isn't a reason to believe that it won't be the Bengals. It's crazy to say. You've heard me, I feel like, week in and week out say it because Everybody is so high on the Bengals, and they come way down low after the Jets' loss. This is a team that is a year early. They're only going to get better. You are seeing the very beginning glimpses of what this offense is capable of. They're like getting sacked at like an 8% rate or some crazy thing like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's like top five in the league, and they're still able to do what they have done. It really shows the kind of grit that Joey Burrow really has. And he wasn't asked to do a lot. You said it. Joe Mixon was outstanding in this game. There were a couple things that just stunned me, though, from a, an actual game plan perspective from the Steelers. Najee Harris ran the ball one time before their third drive in this game. Before he got a second carry, the Bengals were already leading 17-3. to The Steelers are not able to win on Big Ben's arm anymore. They can't keep trying to do this. Whether or not the line sucks, you have to have a run game. You have to have a defense that at least respects the run game at the NFL level. Getting five carries in the first half on six drives for Najee Harris, your number one pick, which drafting a running back in the first round, you have already heard how little I recommend it. And that's not a hot take. Everybody, I think, feels that way now. But how do you not get this guy the ball more? It feels like they have almost relied on Najee Harris on these little dump passes, the little swing passes, to be a fake run game for them since they can't actually get it done. I, I just can't believe it right now. And I, they're they're just not a very good football team, simply put, man. When you think about them, of course, we always go back to this. They started 11-0 last year. And since then, they have just been 500 at best. Not even, right? What are they at right now? 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. They're 5-5-1. Five, five, and one. Literally, the, the only way you could be 500 after 11 games. This Pittsburgh team, you, you can't trust them. They start 11-0 last year, and we keep referring back to that. Since then, they are a 6-10-1 team. This is bad. With that, with how good of a coach they have, how good of a defense they have, Big Ben is clearly the problem. And at this point, why not put Mason Rudolph in? Because, I mean, shit. Yeah, I know. There's, there's a drop-off there, but... You're not competitive regardless. 
you might as well put someone else in that's not Big Ben because he is not only a waste of money and time, he's a waste of, honestly, a shot at least a wild card spot. I mean, if you're going to go to Mason Rudolph, why not at least see what you have in Dwayne Haskins? You already know what you have in Mason Rudolph. You've done this song and dance with him enough in the past. This season's over if you're a Steelers fan. I hate to be that guy. But with how deep the AFC is this year, in a normal year at 5-5-1, five, five, and one, you have a shot. This year, I mean, you're going to have to basically run the table, and they have one of the toughest schedules in the NFL. I mean, they had less than 200 yards of offense with less than six minutes to go in this game before garbage time got them to 301. Their offense is a sieve, and the defense might even be worse. It's crazy that the defense we thought could be the best in like years has fallen off a bridge this year. A big second half leads the Tampa Bay Buccaneers past the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts turned the ball over in this game three times on their final five drives, and it effectively led the Buccaneers from several two-possession deficits in this game which I'm sure you'll talk about here more in a second. But the ending of this game was insane. I just want to point this out in case people didn't get to see it. Tampa Bay is trying to ice the game and just like basically sit on it and kick a field goal as time expires. What do they do instead? Leonard Fournette takes it to the house from like 30 yards out, score a touchdown, then kick the ball off to the Colts, and they return it all the way down to Tampa Bay's 32-yard line. And if it wasn't for a very impressive tackle, we might be talking about a very different situation in both the NFC South and the AFC South standings. Didn't happen, and here we are. The Bucs look to be back on track. And it has me wondering, Steven, what is this Bucs team right now? And is the Colts... You got to think that they're still very, very much in play to win a wild card. I think they're very much in play to, to win the wild card. And, you know, we've said it over the last couple of weeks, if it wasn't for their early matchups against the Tennessee Titans here, with the health of Derrick Henry, that really screwed them out of winning the division. The Colts didn't give Jonathan Taylor the ball in the second half. He didn't. I think he had one carry in the third quarter. And then when he started consistently giving him to him again, when you needed a score, guess what he did? He got you down the field and he got you to score. I understand that Tampa Bay has the best run defense, sorry, second best run defense in the league. And yes, it was a little bit slower of a start and JT was kind of grinding it out. But get that man the football in the passing game. Do something. You got to continually give. That man, the ball. And I know Wally is agreeing with me because it sounds like something you've said before, complained about Urban Meyer ringing a bell for all the Zeke fans out there, all my OSU Buckeye fans. And then we have it on the other side where Furness is torching this Colts defense. You got to give your playmakers the ball and you can't let Carson Wentz throw the ball 44 times. Yes, he had 300 yards and three touchdowns. He also had two interceptions. And that interception in the third, first off, Antoine Winfield Jr., hell of a play, kid. DB mossing receivers, I love it, especially when the receiver is about six or seven inches taller than you. you got to give the respect where it's due. But Carson Wentz, that completely changed the game and gave Tampa Bay that opening. And on top of not giving JT the ball, Frank Reich, what are you doing, man? you got to give him that. Let's flip it over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I am scared. I'm calling it right now that this is the game that's going to kickstart everything for him. The remaining schedule, Atlanta, Buffalo, New Orleans, Carolina twice, and the New York Jets. What makes you think they're not going to win every single one of those games and go into the postseason hot and potentially with the number one seed where everyone's got to come through Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay. I'm not too worried about the Colts. 
this week is a good reminder of why you should run the ball. I feel like the Eagles and Colts were in the same boat this week. You got you to run the ball. We cannot let our quarterbacks beat you with our arms because it's not going to happen, and it's proven here. Tampa Bay, watch out. Not only NFC South, the whole NFC and the whole NFL. The Broncos keep finding ways to win, as well as the Chargers keep finding ways to lose. Justin Herbert needs to figure this out. This team cannot stay consistent. 28 of 44, 303 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, one of those interceptions in the end zone, and the other interception went to the crib by Patrick Sertain the second while they were driving, and that's what really put the game away here in the fourth quarter. Denver's defense, three sacks, two takeaways, one touchdown, and that team is 2-1 and one since trading away their best player, arguably their best player on the roster. My biggest takeaway before I toss it to you is that Denver offense, 302 total yards, to the Chargers, 357. And they had touchdown drives of 11 plays of 75 yards, 10 plays of 80 yards. And you can't forget about the, the eight plate 60 yards in there. That's a lot of plays, a lot of time off the clock to keep your stars on the bench. Wally, this is your division. What in the fuck is going on with the Chargers? Hey, can we? Should we? Will we count the Broncos out? The Chargers, I've been saying all year that they're a Super Bowl team. And they're making me look like a moron just because they haven't really put it together. It's either the offense plays a little subpar. The defense looks like shit. There's always been... did You just lack a complete game out of these teams. And there's nothing more frustrating than that to a coaching staff. But why would I believe that this is going to change? It feels so deeply ingrained in Charger lore now that every game they're going to play to the level of their opponents. Good or bad. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm glad you brought up those long drives. Because Teddy Bridgewater, you won't know it if you just looked in the box score at this game. He played well. He actually played well on Sunday. As in that game manager role, of course. But he got hurt in the first half and gritted it out. Came back out with the shin injury. It looks like he will be good to go this next week. But in his six drives that he played, four of which ended in either a touchdown or icing the ball game, sitting on at the end of the game. That's all you can ask for from a team led by Teddy Bridgewater. But it did show how important a guy like that is and how much better they are with good quarterback play. Because when Drew Locke came in, he looked terrible. Four of seven, 26 yards and a pick. And it's a side note, random, it doesn't add any value at all. But I really get annoyed because Locke should have an E at the end of it. And because it doesn't, that's not a franchise quarterback. That was my, I should have known that two years ago. I should have just known looking at the name. Why does a car have an E at the end of it? Otherwise, I, I would have been care. Why can't it be care? That'd be kind of tight. I'm not acknowledging that. Derek Carr's perfect in every way, and we'll get to that here very shortly. The 49ers top the Minnesota Vikings. Battle of the hot teams right now. Battle of the teams digging themselves out of the holes they put themselves in. Jimmy G, 17-26 for 230 yards with a touchdown and interception each. And Eliza Mitchell with 27 touches, a buck 33 and a touchdown. Not including Debo's two touchdowns before he left with a growing injury. This, this was the entertaining game. This was the game exactly what I thought it would be. Minnesota comes out to an early lead. San Francisco takes control. Minnesota starts coming storming back. Then they're at a stalemate here in the fourth quarter. No, no points are scored. And it stays the exact same way for most of the second half. But San Francisco dominating the time of possession. 37-23. They turn over Minnesota, which is not a team that does that very often. 
and Kirk Cousins in crunch time is lining up behind guards and not his center, forcing the Minnesota Vikings to burn their final timeout. Are you worried about the loser in this game since both these teams were hot going in? And all of a sudden, San Francisco might be coming for that second spot in the NFC West, Walter. To answer the question you asked before first, I'm not worried about either of these teams. I do think that this is going to be a matchup. When we look back at the end of the year, we realize these teams are much better than their record says. I think both of these teams could have a little bit of a run in the NFC playoffs in them. That's the kind of teams that they're built. And yeah, Kirk Cousins, it was embarrassing lining up under the guard and all that. But it should also be pointed out, the guy's only thrown three picks this year. He looks really good. He's playing some of the best ball in his career. And yeah, we like to knock him and poke fun at what not being able to play in prime time and all that. But this year, he really has answered a bell from the critics. He's putting on a career year. And I think Minnesota can really win any game they play. They really can compete with anybody in the country. It's just they have to actually put a full game together. And I think they're getting closer to doing that consistently. Just not so much here. But this game was even going into the half. And that was pretty much where all the Viking success stopped. They did return that kickoff return like midway through the third. But beyond that, four of their five final drives in this game either ended in a turnover or a turnover on downs. you got to finish drives. You can't settle for field goals. Vikings understand that. This is a game you just throw out the window. But I'm glad that you brought up both these teams because I think that they both will be there in the postseason this year. But I do want to throw it now to your Green Bay Packers. A massive win against the LA Rams. Came in, it was pretty close to a pick Everybody knew that this was going to be a great game. And honestly, it didn't, wasn't really living up to it as much just because I feel like the Packers outplayed the Rams thoroughly in this game. The Packers are a team that can win the regular season NFC Hope crowned. I imagine you feel the same way. I'm throwing it to you. Sound off. Tell us what we should know about this game. The Green Bay Packers are the best team in the NFC. They're the most complete team in the NFC. And why should they not be the favorite to represent that conference in the Super Bowl? Aaron Rodgers slinging dimes. Over 300 yards with two touchdowns against. That defense, while missing his top two offensive linemen. The Packers defense bouncing back. Holding the Rams to 30% on third down. Three turnovers. One touchdown. Rashawn Gary with a strip sack. And then Green Bay, on top of that, Green Bay controlled the ball for 20 more minutes than the L.A. Rams. I think it's time to start putting the Buffalo Bills in the same boat as the L.A. Rams were. Who have you beaten? And look at who you've lost to. Lost to the Tennessee Titans. Lost to the San Francisco 49ers that are, all of a sudden, they're above 500. They're losing to the Green Bay Packers. You're getting spanked by the Arizona Cardinals in your division. You can't beat good teams. And with as much talent as you have, maybe we should pump the brakes about Matt Stafford being that missing piece in that McVay offense because it clearly is not clicking. 0-3 since acquiring Von Miller. 0-2 since getting Odell Beckham. Not saying there's a correlation there, but it's going to take some time. But midseason or towards the last quarter of the season is not when you want to start figuring that stuff out because that's tough sledding from there. Green Bay's got the win against the Cardinals. Go undefeated against the NFC West here. They should have some easy wins against the Lions and Bears. Going to have tough, tough games against the Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland, 
and Minnesota. I'm confident winning four of those five. The NFC or the Super Bowl for the NFC is going through Lambeau. Hopefully Aaron can run it back, the last dance with Devontae, and keep this going. But, man, I'm just, as a Packers fan, I'm happy to see the defense bounce back. And I want to, A, what, how, how do you think the Packers are looking from the outside? And I don't know how much you can answer this, but Razul Douglas, kid was a stud during this Rams game, and he's been nothing but a problem, a good problem. For this Packers defense, I don't understand how A, he was on a practice squad, and B, Arizona cut him from the practice squad. It's always weird when you see guys like this kind of have that resurgence and reemergence of a career, even when they didn't have one. And it's a great story, and I'm really, it's a really cool story. We saw one earlier in the year with Dearness Johnson in Cleveland, having the AAF, having to, what, send out freaking Instagram DMs to teams basically asking for a tryout. There's nothing better than stories like this. Like It's a real rags-to-riches story. And it sounds like now, obviously, because of how he's playing, he's changed his life, and that's great. But as for the, just you asking about the Packers in general, this team is very, very good right now. We've wondered for years what it would be like to have Aaron Rodgers on a team with a good Packers defense. We're finding it out right now, assuming they do their job down the stretch. I really do think it's just going to take four wins out of five. And there's three difficult-ish games in there, but I could still see them running the table. And even, like I said, if you lose one, I do think the Arizona, dealing with their injuries that they are, it's going to be really difficult for them to just win out down the stretch or even just have one loss. So I do think it's going to run through Lambeau. But I do now want to change gears to a game where we saw even more struggling quarterback play. And it's unfortunate to say, but it's a Sunday night football game with the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. This really does feel like a Browns team right now that's having a Freddie Kitchens 2.0 kind of season. I'm not really quite sure what happened to Kevin Stefanski, but he does not look like the same coach as he did last year. It's desperate at times. It's conservative at times. It's just poorly timed. It's poorly thought out. The Jarvis Landry receiver passed this last week that turned into a strip sack. It was just the start of the problems. The Browns got into plus territory. It felt like every drive and found new ways to not score, to turn it over, to settle for field goals. I mean, you got to see the Baker fumble. That was painful. You got to see, again, the Jarvis fumble. Just an ugly, ugly game for both of these teams. Thankfully for the Ravens, though, this was a game they could afford to be ugly and win. I mean, now they get to 8-3, and three, still lead that division. Have to imagine they have a wild card spot pretty securely figured out. But on the flip, dude, I, I just don't understand how this fall-offs happened this fast. And this Browns team, it really does feel like this year they're dead in water. And if they lose to the Ravens coming out of their bye week next week, I really, really, really hope that they sit Baker Mayfield. Because right now, he he's not the same player. He looks hurt. He looks lost out there. But you can say that for everybody on this offense. Receivers aren't getting open. The line that we have talked about being so terrific, I talked about how the Bengals' sack rate was high. The Browns is even higher. They've given up top three, top four sacks in this league. Everybody's playing poorly, and that goes all the way back to coaching. you got to respond to the expectations going into this year, and they just simply haven't. The Baltimore Ravens become the first team since the 2014 NFC Championship game that a team throws four interceptions and they won the game. Since then, similar teams have gone 0-52. 
this is bad. Baker is clearly hurt. He's clearly not the same quarterback. Going under 50% completion, 257 yards, one touchdown, 45 QBR, 79.5 rating. Let's flip it over to Lamar Jackson now. 20 of 32 with 165, one touchdown, those four interceptions. And he had a 25 QBR with a 46 and a half rating. So if you thought Baker was bad, Lamar was worse. And they still come out victorious. I don't trust this Ravens team. This Browns team, I think, is dead in the water. If both Baltimore and Cincinnati win this upcoming week, that's going to put them even further ahead in a week they didn't play. And then you have to play the Ravens again. And say you lose that game. What To Wally's point, you got to put Case Keenum in. If Baker is truly your future quarterback, you got to get him healthy. Take this season as an L. Regroup. Get another year underneath your belt. Everything will be fine. For these Ravens, they are very fraudulent as well. They have way too many close games. Justin Tucker has kept them in games. They're getting lucky in this one. I can't even say their defense is keeping them in their game because the Browns offense is just not looking competent. And now we can't even blame OBJ anymore. The only problem, yeah, is like you brought, talk up the OBJ thing. You, like I said, you saw with the Raiders. When all of a sudden you take away one of these top options, you see suction cups. And there's been guys out there on Twitter upload videos like, look at this open wide receiver he missed. And a few of them he definitely missed. But there are videos where they're like picking after he's thrown. And like DBs have already come off a few steps and stuff like that. Cherry picking stats. I just don't know right now if you can really blame one player on this offense. It goes to everybody involved and especially the coaching. The last thing I wanted to say on this Browns offense is the two-minute drill. For this team, is one of the worst I've ever seen. Again, since you have nobody getting open, everything's under the sticks. It's to the middle of the field. And what, the other day, you have an opportunity to win the game with less than two minutes left, and they don't get a freaking first down? I mean, they got nine yards and four plays. I, I'm just at a loss. I mean, last week, you saw Stefanski freaking roll out Baker. on. He's limping. He's limping on his freaking bootleg. Like... You don't do that to your quarterback. I just, the coaching has been so bad. It's bothering the shit out of me. And I I don't know. I really want Baker to sit now just so that next year, if I have to eat crow, I'll eat crow. But I want it to happen where we get a true, like, offseason now. Get a real wide receiver in there. And if he's still struggling, I will walk it back hand up. But I just don't think it's going to happen. But hopefully we see. I mean, that's the thing. Hopefully we see. Then you have Stefanski giving Nick Chubb eight touches out of the backfield. Yes, you have Kareem Hunt with seven, so 15 between the two. Your identity is Nick Chubb and that rushing offense. It doesn't matter if it's Nick Chubb, if it's Kareem Hunt, if it's Ernest Johnson, if it's fucking Felon, if it's Jarvis Landry you're lining up. You got to have the running game. Don't stray away from it. That's the one main component of all these teams that are losing these ugly games. Your Colts, your Eagles should be winning. The Browns are fucking up. Run the ball because that is your offense. But I enjoy watching the Browns fans suffer after talking all this shit about how this is their year the last two years. So, sorry guys. I'm here for the ride. Your Vegas Raiders go into Jerry's world on Thanksgiving. A rarity for you. 
So I'm glad you got to enjoy this. They cannot keep you down, can they, Wally? They keep you coming. They keep you coming back. Wally, go off, bud. Deshaun Jackson proving himself in this offense here, having a nice game. I was a little bit inebriated during this game on Thanksgiving. I know you were keeping your wits about you a little bit, just uh, throwing back the pierogies. The Raiders can't die yet, and the Cowboys just wrapped up their worst month of football. They really can't keep me away. I don't know what it is. And the first time I watched this on Thursday, I actually didn't keep my wits about me. I had quite a few beverages in my system, but luckily I was able to rewatch the game on Friday again, and it was a blast. I had a really great time enjoying it. The offense did show signs of the pre-Henry Ruggs exit, and that was in large part due to that Deshaun Jackson game you're talking about. That opening drive for the Raiders, getting that long strike to Deshaun Jackson with him being able to stretch the field and score was just massive. I mean, you even lose Darren Waller halfway through the game with a little bit of a knee injury. He should be fine. But that was a moment that I thought the Raiders season was over. And the Raiders still managed to get it done. Hunter Renfro had a monster game here. It was a very, very encouraging moment for the Raiders, at least a passing game. But the biggest concern for me is that you see for several years in a row now, the Raiders' inability to score late in games in the second half. And I think it completely comes down to the fact that they can't run the ball. Fifth worst this year, 3.8 yards per carry. And they're under 35% in third down this year. Thank God for them. They've attempted like 50 fewer than the top team in the league. And that's a large part due to what early in the year they were able to do on first and second down with the passing game. But when they fall behind the sticks, they have a real difficult time in third and long when everybody knows that the pass is coming. The other main takeaway I think that you have to focus on for both of the teams in this game was this was the top two in terms of penalty yardage and penalties called against at 89 and 91 apiece. It was a brutal game from that perspective to watch. I almost have to apologize to non-Raiders and Cowboys fans. 18, 18... 28 combined penalties between the two teams, 14 for each side, 110 penalty yards for the Raiders to 166 for the Cowboys. You're not going to hardly ever win a game of 14 penalties. The Raiders got lucky that the Cowboys were equally as undisciplined, but that's a problem that both these teams have to correct because you cannot win in this league and give up seven, eight penalties a game. You just can't do it. From an outsider perspective in your right now, what does this kind of feel like? Does it feel like the Raiders might actually avoid the slide at the end of the year? Because I think that right now people are falling into that trap and I think the slide's still very, very likely to happen. Yeah, we go to history, right? I'm going to I'm gonna pick the, the sliding as you're most likely to happen because I just think it's that whole division. It's not just you guys. It, between you and the Broncos and the Chargers and the Chiefs, we don't understand, we don't know what team we're going to get each and every Sunday. So it's a week by week. But I like the Raiders. I like how they can get Deshaun Jackson there. Yeah, he's 35. Let's see how long he can stay healthy during the tail end, the back end of this season. But he adds that nice element. Being able to open up Hunter Refro a little bit. Darren Waller being lost in this game. He's already listed as doubtful. So hopefully he can come back sooner rather than later. So see how those Raiders look without Darren Waller on there because we know that's Derek Carr's guy. It's going to make him a little bit one-dimensional during his absence. So I'm going to see what these next few weeks look like. But I'm 
I like the Raiders out of there. Again, I can't trust any team in the NFC West as of right now. I do want to flip it back to you with the Dallas Cowboys now losing three of their four in the month of November. Their remaining schedule, the Saints, which we'll get to here on Thursday, Washington Giants, Washington Cardinals, Eagles. That's four divisional games. A tricky Saints team is well coached while missing your head coach this week. And the Arizona Cardinals, which seems like that can be the time they can get it really going. Or maybe they're resting starters because they got that much ahead or they just aren't fighting for the number one spot anymore. Will Dallas continue this poorest stretch that they've had over this last month and lose the division? I don't think that they are going to lose the division unless they're swept by Washington. With Washington being two games back, it turns into they have the tiebreaker and it's a, what, three-game race at that point? I don't think that happens. I think Dallas is a better team than Washington. I think that they will win the division. I mean, they are playing tight in most of these games. Yeah, like the game like Denver, that loss was brutal. That Kansas City game was weird because of the situation you had with your own players out and all that. I think that you're going to see the Cowboys settle in. I think they're fine. Don't panic. Just be more disciplined. I mean, my God. The defense, that's the only thing that worries me is since that first six, seven games where, what, Diggs was getting a pick or a pick six, it felt like every other minute you were watching, they really haven't been having that. They did get a special team score this last Thursday, a kickoff return from Pollard. But beyond that, the defense over 500 yards allowed, and it looked a lot more like the 2020 Dallas defense than the first seven weeks of the year Dallas defense. They need to get healthy. They're still missing Tyron Smith, who needs to get healthy. They're, Mari Cooper's out. CeeDee Lamb is out with a concussion. You had your two top edge rushers out for this game. They need to get healthy. But maybe your Washington football team pick. Maybe it's seen some value now, Wally. You never know that rivalry. Instead, they're playing their best ball. The Washington football team without their best players. Can Taylor Heineke do it? That's a sketchy secondary. Maybe you can start roasting them as long as he doesn't turn it over. For the sake of the podcast, Cowboys are going down. Washington football team is going to continue rolling and take that NFC East crown. And with that, that will wrap us up here with our Week 12 recap, and that's going to catapult us right into the Week 13 bets. For that, we want, we're want we going to toss it here to Wally to see how we did here this past weekend for you. What the hell's going on out here? Steven had a better week than me, but we are both kind of teetering that average week again where he went 15-12, and 12, and the way he gambles, that's probably going to net you about two units up, and I went 16-17, and 17, which would probably net me about a unit and a half, two units down. So, Steven definitely got the better of me last week. I'm going to be trying my best to get back here. Hopefully, we both have a good weekend, though. It looks like we're agreeing on some picks here. Let's see. That can only go one of two ways, so I'm very interested. You're not kidding. We'll find out very quick on Sunday how this is going to go. But this week, we have the Cleveland Browns, the Green Bay Packers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Carolina Panthers all on their bye weeks. So we only have 14 games to talk about today. And we will get started here with the Thursday night one. The Dallas Cowboys we were just talking about are four and a half point favorites going too big easy, going to New Orleans. And the over-under is set at 47 and a half. Now, I was surprised to find out this line is actually shrinking. When we put this in and we were doing our rundown here, it was at five and a half. It's down to four and a half right now as we set. I don't think that I'm wrong here. 
naturally. That's why I make the pick. But I think that Dallas is going to win. I thought they were going to pretty win convincingly. The New Orleans offense has fallen off a cliff. And with the Cowboys struggling, this is kind of like really setting up for them to have a really good get-right game. So I am taking Dallas to cover here, and I'm also going to take them to win this game outright. Join me. I can feel you thinking. Join me. Try not to. For this game, I'm going to pick the New Orleans Saints at plus four and a half. I'm going to go with the Dallas money line. Now, to Wally's point, this offense has been looking bad. Taysom Hill is poised to be the starter here, taking the first team reps here with Trevor Simeon taking the second team reps. I liked how this team was playing with Taysom Hill last year. Is he going to blow you out of the water with his passing? No. Blow you out of the water with his rushing? Most likely. Put it to combine. As long as he's not turning that ball over, this is a fun team to watch. Sean Payton's man, uh, as he quoted as a Steve Young-like quarterback, we'll see how Taysom Hill is going to play against a Dallas team that's riddled with injured, playing their third game in a 12-day span. Who said he was a Steve Young-like quarterback? Sean Payton. Sean fucking Payton said this. Of course he did. And of course he did, because you let Drew Brees play. I get that, but you pick Teddy Bridgewater over him, and then you pick Jameis Winston over him, and then you pick Trevor Simeon over him. Come on now. They even traded fucking Montana to get Steve Young in there. That's how you're going to act, Sean Payton, but... We can go back and forth about Sean Payton for a while. I feel like we're the only two people that agree. We both are in agreement about how much we hate him and how much... I don't hate him necessarily, but he's hugely overrated. He, he is very overrated. I agree. And this season is really proving it because this was a proven season for that head coach of, oh, man, maybe he can win that coach of the year, bring Jameson and reconstruct the offense and revive Jameson's career. With what we said with all the injuries to Dallas's defense and Taysom Hill's dual dual-like threats. I like them to keep this game a little bit more competitive with a new, with some new energy in that offensive room, but I still like Dallas to get their head out of their ass, even though Mike McCarthy will not be on the sideline after testing positive for COVID here this past week. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 11-point favorites, where Tom Brady gets to go to Atlanta with the over-under set at 50 and a half. Tampa Bay, I said it, they're going to start rolling. The game last week is what's going to kickstart it. Playing a team that was hot, going up against a team that is just struggling. This is a good team for this Tampa Bay defense to continue what they started here last week in the turnover battle. They're getting their defense healthy. And I think Tom Brady's going to go on a tear. They're getting Gronk back. Antonio Brown is looking like he's trending to be back for this game after missing multiple over the last few weeks. So this offense is going to start churning and burning, and Atlanta, you're going to get the first taste of it. I think a lot of people are still remembering the Atlanta game in Tampa Bay earlier this year, where, yeah, Tampa Bay won by three or four scores, but Atlanta made it, I think that they made it like a four-point game going into the fourth quarter before a plethora of mistakes made it look worse than it was. This is a different team now. Atlanta isn't the same. If Cordero Patterson is involved and he does well, we're going to eat crow. I think that Tampa Bay, I think Bruce Arians, I think that Todd Bowles, I think all of these brilliant minds down there in Tampa Bay are going to figure out a way to slow him up and take him out of this game. And then it's going to be who steps up. Is Kyle Pitts going to have to have that first emergence game to get there? I don't believe it happens though. Tampa Bay is going to win, and you called it a get-right game. We've had a few of those that we're talking about. Dallas just now 
a second ago, a get-right game. This feels similar, where Atlanta isn't that team. This is a division rival, and Tampa Bay is going to go in there, I think, focused, and this is the part of the year that last year we saw Tom Brady and the Bucks really click. I don't know if they lost a game from this point of the year on last year. Perhaps we might be looking at something similar. I have Tampa Bay minus 11 in Moneyline. Arizona is 7.5 point favorites going to Chicago and Shoulder Field. Kyler Murray, we haven't heard definitively if he'll be back yet, but he sent out a cryptic tweet earlier today with Thanos, with the what Infinity Stones or all that, kind of implying that he will be playing on Sunday. He's not a guy that tweets too often, so I'm going to believe it. But we still are unsure on Justin Fields' status in this game. If Andy Dalton is the guy in there, I do think that you're going to see that Arizona cover this game. But if Fields is in there, I I think that you might actually get a Bears team that keep this close. I don't think they'll win, but that's why this is one of those rare times. I'm actually not going to give you guys a pick today, and I'm kind of giving it up a little early here on what my drop will be. But until we know what the quarterback situation is here, it's a little too scary for me to put money on this game. Be a man, Wally. My goodness. I know you can't grow a beard, but grow a pair at least. I'm that, was the Arizona, that was good. I appreciate that. I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals minus seven and a half and the money line here. Kyler's expected back. We'll see if D-Hop will get back in the lineup. My biggest thing is the defense no one's talking about in Arizona. Top five in total yards. It's a top four passing defense. Rush defense needs some work. Tied for fifth in sacks. Going up against a Chicago Bears team that is giving up the most sacks in the NFL. Yes, the Bears know how to know how to get after the quarterback, but they are without Khalil Mack. So I'm putting a little bit more trust in this defense and not really too on the Arizona defense and not really too focused on who's playing quarterback because it looks like Colt McCoy can step in and play against those lesser defenses. So I think that he can play well against the Chicago's defense. Hell, Jared Goff can be somewhat decent. I think Colt McCoy, I think Kyler, no matter who's in there, can get it done. James Conner can continue his stretch of touchdowns, can continue his stretch just bulldozing in that two-headed running monster of him and Chase Edmonds. I still like them regardless. Seven and a half in the money line. The Chargers and the Bengals face off here in Cincinnati. Where the Bengals are three-point favorites, over-under is set at 50 and a half. Wow, these, this is the game of two teams we cannot get a read on. But two great young quarterbacks up and coming in the league that we get to see face off here. I'm going to go with the Chargers plus three, but Cincinnati money line. I could see this being a weird score of a one to two point deficit, and that's how the game is going to end. And I see a lot of offense in this. Yes, the Chargers defense is pretty good on the on the back half here and this Bengals defense isn't looking as bad as we thought and like to Wally's point here earlier they're that, that year ahead not only that offense but this defense and this team as a whole so I like the Chargers going across the country needing this win to stay not only in the division in the playoff hunt Cincinnati's also needing that win as well so I like the Chargers keeping it close at plus three but Cincinnati to continue rolling and gaining steam on the Ravens here in the AFC North So this is the moment I actually officially walk back my Chargers love this year. I'm going to take the Bengals minus three in the money line. They can't really string together a full game on both sides of the ball. And much like the Phillip Rivers Chargers, they played at a level of their opponents. Meanwhile, in the flip, 
we keep hearing the message from the Bengals that this culture of winning and change is occurring behind Joe Burrow in this offense. I think you're going to continue to see that here with the Bengals winning a really close game. The Bengals find a way to win and the Chargers find a way to lose yet again more of the same. Bengals minus three and the money line. Then going to your division for the NFC North, where the Minnesota Vikings are a touchdown favorite, and by touchdown I mean seven points, minus seven at Detroit with the over-under at 46.5. DeAndre Swift is not expected to play after his injury on Thanksgiving, and I don't know how the Lions are supposed to win a game with the quarterback play they've had, and now you take Swift out as well? Whether Goff is completely healthy again or not, it's not going to be enough. We've seen what the Vikings have done. I know they lost this last week, and they had a really rough second half. But I just believe that, first of all, the 49ers are a very good team that's been hidden by a bad record. The Vikings are the exact same thing. They're significantly better than this Lions team. And I think because it is at 7, you feel extra good about taking it. Because I think at worst comes to worst, the Vikings win this game by the 7 points. I also have the Vikings at minus 7, paired up with their money line. Like you said, quarterback playing Detroit's been very, very bad. DeAndre Swift not being out here. And yes, they still have Jamal Williams, who can be a bell cow or get a his fair share of carries. We saw him do that in Green Bay if he had Aaron Jones out, whatever it may be. But Minnesota's going to be hungry. It's that time of the year where the reality of Detroit not winning a game is sinking in, and you do not want to be that team that lets up the win. With Minnesota losing to San Francisco in the fashion that they did last week, I expect them to come out very hungry. Dalvin Cook out indefinitely, but Alexander Madsen, he's a plug-and-play guy. We've seen him over the last couple of years come in in replace of Dalvin Cook and has been phenomenal with the workload seemingly not changing at all no matter what the running back is. I like Kirk Cousins and that Vikings team to have a huge bounce back, and I think I could see them winning by 10-plus and just this is one of the lines games that you think can be close and they end up getting blown out like the Packers or the Eagles game in the, in the weeks prior. The New York Giants are headed to Miami, this time without Victor Cruz and Odell and hanging out on the boat. The Dolphins are minus three point favorites with the over-under set at 41 and a half here. I like this Giants with having a little bit more sense of urgency and just more energy with having Jason Garrett out of that offense. They're really starting to string in a couple games here where they can consistently keep their starting talent, talented players on the field. Saquon trending up here a little bit, finally staying on for more than a quarter. And I like the Giants at plus three, but to Miami to, to cover. I, I see Miami still going to be churning and burning, making some waves here in the AFC as of late for the playoff picture. But the Giants, I feel like at this time of the year, they start getting it together and start playing very, very close games. And I would pair up the under with this. I can see this being a, a 9-7 to seven game. Just a defensive battle with the way Miami's coming up. Not trusting the New York offense. But Miami coming out with New York covering here this week at the Hard Rock. I really am going to get the talk out of both sides of my mouth here because earlier in our NASCAR segment, and we promised we'd talk about those teams too. So if you ever find your team in that NASCAR, we get you in the gambling. Don't worry. But Miami's quarterback play at the beginning of the year, terrible. Made you think Tua, the throw at the B word, the bust word. And fortunately for them, doesn't look like maybe that's the case. Maybe I shouldn't be the fat guy talking about a guy's health when I've never had my hip pop out of my side 
and just expect to play football the following year. He looks different. He looks a little bit more fluid back there, and he's actually completing balls that he wasn't able to complete last year. He's stepping into his throws better. He's looking better as a whole. So this is where the talking out of both sides of my mouth starts. The Giants' defense is pretty good, and they're largely unrecognized because of how bad the offense has been, how bad that offensive line's been. I mean, you hear about Jason Garrett. You hear about David Gettleman. But how often are we talking about the success of this defense? It doesn't happen, and it should. Maybe I'm wrong, but this feels like a game that everyone is in love with Miami, and Vegas is baking on them, coming back down to earth, and I actually agree with them. I think the Giants win a close one in a low-scoring game, 20-17, to and I'm actually going to take the under with you, Steve, and I agree. So I have New York plus three. I actually have the Giants' money line, but I have the under. So two of the three, we are well on the same page for. The Eagles are six and a half point favorites going to the Jets in New York. And I think the Eagles running game is going to get back on track in this game. And they're going to win the time of possession. This is my call. They're going to win it by at least 10 minutes in this game. So at worst, 35-25. They're going to win by two scores because of that. Zach Wilson needs to start showing the improvement through the air. It's not going to happen this week. It's been crazy to watch him play. It's a blast if you're not a fan of the New York Jets. Because... It's like boomer bust with the kid. It's turnover or he's looking long, looking for scores. It's fun, but you need to teach him. It's not BYU. You're not playing in the Mountain West anymore. You're going to be playing speed. You're going to have guys making closing plays that we've not seen. The Eagles win this game. They're going to cover to six and a half. And I just am starting to worry about Zach Wilson. I also have the Eagles winning this money line, but the Jets covering the six and a half. Again, this is that time of the year where that sense of urgency is starting to set in. We need to get some victories under here. We need something to hang our hat on to give us something positive to go into the offseason. I'm not saying that the Jets are going to win all these or get close to covering, but I like them covering here. Philadelphia, I feel like that game they had last week against the Giants, they, that could happen at any point. doesn't matter who the competition is, in or outside of the division. I just can't simply trust the Eagles right now. I think that they can win. But they're just playing too close of games, even with the running game, the way that it has been. We'll see if they can really get that going and blow the doors off the Jets. But Jets being at home, Zach Wilson having that first game back after a few weeks off. Maybe he can get it together here and keep it under that touchdown here. Hopefully. Please, Zach Wilson. Your mom is really hot, by the way. I like the Jets at plus six and a half. Philadelphia money line. The Indianapolis Colts are flying down to Houston where they are nine and a half point favorites against the Texans. And the over-under is set at 46 and a half. I like Indy covering the nine and a half. And I'm going to take their money line here as well. They were hot, got stumped, shot themselves in the foot last week, which stopped the winning streak they had on here. And I think that they can get it back going again against the Houston Texans. They're a dumpster fire. They, they're not playing for anything. And they're barely playing at all. I like Indianapolis to come over here and steamroll them, get Jonathan Taylor back on track, get that offense back on track, and just feed the fucking ball to Jonathan Taylor, Frank Reich. Even with that loss to Tampa Bay, Indianapolis is playing their best football of the year right now. The last month of the season, they look like the best team in that division. We're just wondering if there's enough time for them to catch the Titans. Even though I don't think that happens, just getting in the wild card, we saw how dangerous they could be last year when they went to Buffalo. I think that's a very similar team this year. Houston, on the other side, has not even shown any kind of life 
besides that Titans game. And we know what the Titans are going through right now. The Colts are going to win this game, and they're going to blow the doors off the Texans. Cover the 9.5 and, and the money line. Then my boys, the Raiders, at home, 2.5-point favorites against the Washington football team, who's coming off three straight wins against Tampa Bay at Carolina and home against Seattle the other day. I think their recent success is a mirage, though. That's why when we were talking about our divisions, I told you that Dallas was going to win. Washington's not a good football team. I still believe that, especially without Chase Young in there. I'm hardly any higher on the Raiders, but I do think their offense is going to be able to do enough in this game. It's going to go to the final minutes one way or another. I have the Raiders minus the two and a half in money line, but I'm less confident picking this game than I feel like I have at any other point picking a Raiders game this year. So take that as you will at home. Jack Del Rio making his way back to the Raiders organization, this time on the visiting sideline. I also like the Raiders as two and a half point favorites, and I'm taking their money line. Washington has got to stop the streak that they're on. They barely squeaked it out yesterday. Like you said, the failed two-point conversion. Seattle recovers the onside kick. It gets called back. They almost recover it again. Washington's luck has to run out, and I believe that is going to start with this game. Even though I think that they can win the division against the Dallas Cowboys, it doesn't matter. They still have the two matchups against the Cowboys here down the stretch. I just see Washington losing this game without Chase Young, without Montez Sweat. I don't see this defense being able to do enough to disrupt this Derek Carr-led offense, regardless if Darren Waller is or is not on the field. I'm calling it right now, Brian Edwards game for you. It's going to be a Brian Edwards game, Wally. That'd be cool. We really haven't ever had one of those, so that'd be sweet. Maybe Zay Jones. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going out to SoFi Stadium with the LA Rams are 13-point favorites and the over-under set at 48.5. The Rams have lost three straight in a row. They can't beat good teams, but you know what they can't beat? Horrible, horrible teams that are horribly led by Urban Meyer. I like the Rams at 13 points here. This is a game they're going to just completely shit on their opponent, and I feel bad. This is when the eighth grade bully's really pissed off because his mom said he couldn't hang out with his friends this weekend. He finds the smallest sixth grader in the school to start just wailing on. That's what this game is going to be. Trevor Lawrence, good luck against that Rams defense. Have fun. That'll be a long plane ride home. The Rams minus 13 and their money line, Wally. The Rams are the NFC Chargers to me. That team that has all the talent in the world and should be a Super Bowl threat, but what we have seen from them makes us feel like it's just a possibility. They aren't going to lose this game, but the Jaguars are going to keep it closer than they should, and I don't think the value is there on the Rams to compensate the risk-reward here. So I'm avoiding the money line. I'm actually only going to be taking Jacksonville plus 13 because I think they are going to keep this pretty close. And just on the off chance that they do win this game, I don't want to be caught with my tail between my legs betting, well, if we call it just for at home, make it easy. If you bet 100 bucks on the money line, you're going to be winning maybe 20 back. For having the Rams here, I don't like it. Even if it's 30, it's not enough. Just taking Jacksonville plus 13. I do think Vegas hit the over-under perfectly here, though. I have the Rams winning 28-20 to 20 right on that 48 number. Baltimore is going to Pittsburgh for a crucial AFC North battle, even if it is not crucial for the team directly involved at home. Baltimore is a four-point favorite. 
I think that you're going to see a spirited Steelers team realizing that their season is on the line. But ultimately, I do think that the Ravens are going to win this game. And I think it's going to be by a score of 24-17 to or 24-20. to So that's why I think you're safe. I think. Very critical. I think you're safe with the minus four as long as it doesn't go to four and a half. If it does, don't touch the spread. I'm taking the Baltimore money line. And I actually think I'm going to put two units on this because unlike the last game, it's going to be at least better-ish odds. And I would be really, really surprised to see the Steelers win this game outright. The matchup of two teams in the AFC North that we trust the least amount. And that's oh, that's arguable. We can, also throw the, we can also throw the Browns in there, I guess. Pittsburgh cannot seem to get it together. Baltimore thrives on the one-possession games because they've won at the buzzer here multiple times. They have won a lot of games on one possession. Sprinkle that in with the division game. Even though I'm shitting on Pittsburgh and what they have done over the last couple weeks or since week 11 of here last year, the one thing I can't trust is the defense. Again, it's a divisional matchup. They see Lamar a lot. They're watching him a lot. And I like the Pittsburgh Steelers to cover the plus four. And to Wally's point, if that bumps up the plus four and a half, I'd love it even more. But the Baltimore money line, they win these close games. That's what their MO is this year. And Lamar, I know, is going to be very hungry after throwing four interceptions to have a great game and prove himself as being able to throw the ball and I'm not just a running back, even though we all really know he is. Pittsburgh plus four, Baltimore money line. The 49ers are three and a half point favorites going up to the Seattle Seahawks with the over-under set at 45 and a half. Seattle has, has done nothing since Russell Wilson has been back for me to trust them to take them at any amount of points to cover. I like San Francisco here, minus three and a half. They are rolling right now. Those games are always, always very close. But I like San Francisco, minus three and a half here because they are just not getting it done offensively over there in Seattle. DK Metcalf with one reception for 13 yards on four targets last night. There's talent. It's not being used. Seattle just continues their spiral. San Francisco continues their climb up, not only the NFC playoff picture, but the NFC West standings. The 49ers seemingly have hit their stride, but with this being a divisional matchup, I'm more worried than I probably should be here. There's not really any reason at all why the Seahawks should win this game, and yet I kind of have this really bad feeling that I'm going to see myself caught in the Vegas mouth trap of San Francisco minus three and a half, and I'm going to do it. I'm taking San Francisco minus three and a half in the money line. I'm trusting Shanahan. I do think the Niners win. We've seen the Seahawks just kind of implode. I I just have to believe that the line is just respect to Russell Wilson and not that they actually believe that this game's going to be as close as it is. I don't know. We're going to find out. I just can't believe any other way. The Niners win and they're going to cover. And then the Sunday night game, another great divisional matchup. Denver is going to Kansas City where the Chiefs, back to their old ways, are 10-point favorites with the over-under set at 47.5. One of these days, I'm going to stop disrespecting the Broncos. and I think you noticed earlier, I think the day might be here. I keep waiting for them to go away, but since their four-game losing streak after starting 3-0, the Broncos are 3-1 and and have a few really good wins at Dallas and against the Chargers. They'll come out firing on Sunday and keep this tight, this isn't a disrespect pick for them. I'm just regrettably starting to worry that the Chiefs are starting to 
get things clicking. So I'm taking Denver plus 10, KC money line. But I think the Broncos give them more of a scare than people expect. I agree with you. Andy Reid, after the bye week, everyone thinks that he's so undefeated, but it looks like this is their year to be defeated, no matter if it's coming off a bye week, how hot he starts in September. This is the year to take advantage of the Chiefs. They still have not done anything for me to trust them. You put in a Dallas defense that's been playing pretty well against the Kansas City offense that still just is has not been clicking. Clyde edwards Hilaire got got the first game under, underneath his belt from returning from injury, then straight to a bye week. This team is rested. They've got their eyes on Denver. And I like Denver at the plus 10 as well, Kansas City money line. The Denver defense and that offense will be a fun matchup as well as the Kansas City defense and that Denver offense matchup, I think is surprisingly going to cause Kansas City some problems here. It's going to be an ugly like 30, 30 to 21 game at Kansas City. For some reason, they, they aren't blowing them out, but it's going to be another week where we're sitting here saying, okay, I thought this was the week that the Chiefs are going to start rolling and they're the same team we thought they were since week one. And the last game we have here on the rundown, the New England Patriots head up to the AFC East leading Buffalo Bills. Well, the Bills are two and a half point favorites. The over-under is set at 43 and a half. And this is for all the marbles for right now. I like the New England Patriots at plus two and a half. And I'm going to take their money line here. This team is hot. The hottest team, not in the AFC, in the NFL. And this is arguably the team you do not want to face right now. Their defense is playing out of their mind. Their offense will bore you death by a thousand cuts, and they will score. And Bill Belichick has got his boys rolling. And just when you thought you got rid of them, Buffalo, here they come back a year and a half later, start knocking on the door, start pissing you off. I like Bill Belichick and the boys are going to Buffalo. Get this win, cover the spread, and take the AFC East crown heading into the back quarter of the season. I felt a lot better about that until I heard you say it because we're on the exact same wavelength. And that scares me because I think a lot of people probably are thinking the same way we are, which means if you're smart at home, you're probably not going to follow us and you're going to take Bills to cover. But the moment of truth is here, finally. This may be the game I've looked forward to most that hasn't involved the Raiders. If the Bills do win, I think all's good in Buffalo and they're back to not only believing they'll win the East, but also get the bye in home field as well. But if, if they lose, if, I think they will have, I think that New England will have the exact same feeling and they should. Bill Belichick is on his own personal revenge tour right now and has the past looking like one of the most balanced teams in the league. We don't use that word a lot on here and we should use it more. But balance, because that team has so much balance. They can run it on you. They can, when they need to, Mac Jones can throw it. And then the defense is as solid as you can hope for at this stage of the year. If the Bills do fall to 7-5, and five, they are far from a guaranteed playoff spot too. But we'll talk about that more next week. If it does happen, the Patriots join the Ravens though as the first AFC teams to reach 9 wins. I also have the Patriots plus 2.5. And the money line. And that will bring us to the end of our week 13 picks. With our last segment being the prop, lock, and drop. It, where Wally and I give you a prop of the week, the lock of the week, and the game we want to stay from in the drop. Wally, I'll toss it to you here, bud. Start us off. What is your prop, lock, and drop it for week 13? I'm going to start with my drop, actually, because I gave it away earlier. 
I am taking the Arizona in Chicago game. I wouldn't bet it. We're not 100% sure that either quarterback is starting in that game. And that makes it very tough for me to just blindly bet. I won't do it. I don't think you should. So that's my drop. And my prop and the lock actually go hand in hand. Steven and I are not very opposed on a lot of games this week. Or at least if we pick differently, we at least are close enough to understand why. I am saying that the Cowboys not only win and cover the minus five and a half as the lock. And that was I had this in there as when it was five and a half. It is four and a half now. Not only is that a lock, I have my prop being DraftKings has it. Dallas by 14 or more points, and it pays plus 240. So if you bet $100 on that, you get your $100 back and $240 more if the Cowboys win by 14 or more points. That's what I have for you. Big Cowboy fan this week, Steven. Cool. You and Skip Bayless are best friends. I love to see that. My prop lock and drop uh, I, I got to cut you off. Did you see the video of Skip Bayless? And doing his weird thing after the game on Thursday? Yeah, did you not see the uh, my IG post? Oh my god, that's right. You were the one that did that. Well, everybody go out and follow our freaking social page because he saw it before I did. Awesome, awesome video. Oh, it was the cringiest thing. Oh man, I just he is just not a cool dude. And I know, you know, if this ever is if this is ever heard, you know, the slander, you know, we ever are put in a position where Maybe we can thrive off this, make a huge career. Like, well, you said all that stuff about Skip Bayless kind of being weird about the Cowboys loss. It can't be the first one. But, man, that dude is fucking weird. And I do love and enjoy watching Shannon Sharp shred that dude every single chance that he can get. I'll also go backwards here. My drop of the week is the nine and a half first Jacksonville, the Indianapolis Colts. I know I'm high on them saying they'll get that bounce back win. Jonathan Taylor will continue his role after kind of plateauing last week, not by... Not by his own choice, by his head coaches. But the nine and a half, I want to stay away from it right now. Let's see if Indianapolis can continue. My lock of the week, New England Patriots at plus two and a half and their money line against the Buffalo Bills. I don't trust the Bills right now. You know what will make me trust the Bills if you beat this New England Patriots team? This is going to be a fun defensive matchup. And I like the, I like the Patriots in this. Like I said, take control of the AFC East. And my prop, I'm going to give you two. I'll give you a, a bonus prop. My first prop, Joe Mixon over 85 rushing yards. That's set at minus 115. Going up against the Chargers, I feel like this is the perennial prop taking the rushing total of anyone who's playing the Los Angeles Chargers because they are still the worst rush defense in the league. Until they can prove that they can stop anybody, I'm going to take Joe Mixon over 85 yards here. If you have the option like I do to flex and pick different increments of rushing yards he has and push it up to plus money which i'm sure is sitting around that 99 102 yard mark why not if it's plus money you know joe mixon is good for it as of a hot season he's having going up against a very porous rush defense and my bonus prop trevor lawrence to throw an interception against the los angeles rams you know he's gonna fuck up and try to throw it to jalen ramsey it's not gonna work and jalen ramsey is playing his old team you know he wants to do something special in there that will bring us to an end of another great episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, at Loss of Down, and Twitter, down underscore loss. I am Stephen Weed. He is Walter Lukashensky. What parting words do you have for our listeners? Oh, not too much. This is just the critical week point now where every single week feels like a playoff game to teams involved and 
we've been kind of lucky, and it just feels really special to have with the extra seventh team. The wild card races on both sides is phenomenal, and it feels like 90% of the league has a rooting interest still and really has a shot at the playoffs if their team can do it right. That's awesome. I, I'm starting to come around to the seven teams in the playoffs, even though I'm not coming around to the 17th game, Steven. But all in all, great show. Great seeing you again. Looking forward to our next one. He is Walter. I am Steve. Until next week, we are Lost and Down. Sup, Ernestine Bayless. 